So, uh, it's always really sweet to be back in El Paso. So, how many people are here first time to the class? Welcome. What's your name? Andrea. Andrea? Denise. Denise? Amanda. Huh? Amanda. Amanda? Fernando. Fernando. Hare Krishna. And you, are you? I've been here. Yeah, okay. Art, sorry. Sometimes I don't remember. Is Stephanie's boyfriend? Oh, yeah, yeah. Now I remember. Your first timer? Yeah. What's your name? Wesley. Wesley. Thank you so much. Uh, I'm Jivananda. Uh, my guru, Srila Prabhupada, named me Jivananda uh, in 1977. You all remember 1977, don't you? It's a really good year. So, Jiva means the living entity, the soul. And Ananda means bliss, eternal bliss. Jivananda Das. Das means servant. So, Jivananda, the bliss the eternal bliss of the living entity, das, servant of the eternal bliss of the living entity, which means servant of Krishna, which means servant of God. So that's that's uh, who I am, and I'm glad to have you here. Uh, people wonder, what are you? And, and, you know, that's my name. What am I? I'm really nothing, and uh, I'm a nobody. I'm just a wandering fool. I just wander. Uh, I don't have a place to live. This is so sad. <laughs> no, I don't have a place that, uh, and I don't want a place. I just go from place to place, from here and there. And sometimes it takes me uh, uh, through Europe and India. Aaron and I just got back from India. We were there uh, six months. We were gone six months. And uh, Krishna Das and Radhika, uh, got, they were in India for what, three? Two, two months. So we were there at the same time, but on, on different parts of the country. <laughs> Now let's discuss the format. Uh, I don't like to lecture. I just speak. And what I want to do is communicate and connect with you. So I want to know what's on your mind if you have questions or comments or something about spiritual life. Uh, let's make it spiritual life because I don't know much about politics or stuff like that. So let's, let's stick with spiritual life. Now what does that mean, spiritual life? First of all, before we go any further, how many here believe that you have a soul? Show of hands. Okay. You don't believe you have a soul? <laughs> you can leave. <laughs> all right, now, that was a trick question because here's the real question. How many of you believe that you are a soul? There you go. See, that's spiritual understanding. Spiritual understanding is the, the very first step. Spiritualism 101 teaches you that we are not the body. I'm not this body. When I look in the mirror, this old guy that I look at that's looking back at me, I take confidence that that's not me. Now, you're all young, so when you look and see those young bodies looking back at you, you think, ah, oh, someday you'll get old and you'll say, ugh. So, uh, the first realization in spiritual life is that we're not these bodies. We are not the body. So if we're not the body, what are we? We are the eternal living entity that owns the body. For instance, you're not your car, okay? But you're the owner of the car, and you drive the car, and you wear the car out 
and you'll get another car. So the bodies are very much like that. It's a vehicle to move you around, and you're the soul and you drive it. When you wear out a, a car, uh, wear out one body, you get another one. You go. This is called transmigration of the soul. In the West, it's referred to as reincarnation. Now, some people say, well, I believe in reincarnation. I don't believe in reincarnation, but I believe in transmigration of the soul. Whatever. Call it whatever you like. But the living entity is eternal. Lord Krishna says that never was there a time when you did not exist, nor will there ever be a time in the future when you will cease to be. You are unborn, undying, unending in primeval. Okay? So, we're an eternal living entity. And here we are in this body. So what are we doing here? And how do we get here? What, how do we get here? And what is the purpose for it? Does anybody have an idea? If I'm not the body, what am I doing in this thing? Did somebody just put me here? Am I like a helpless living entity that's wandering through millions and millions of galaxies? Unending galaxies, unending planets, unending time, and I'm wandering body to body, life to life. Now, is this me doing this? Or am I being forced? Does anybody have a, an idea? It's a little bit of both. You're the driver. You're here because you wanted to come here. You have desires. And Krishna, which is the name of God, fulfills all desires. Whatever desire you have at the time that you quit this body will determine your next body. Now, the sum total of all your desires, the main things that you want, you know, your, your, your desires. In other words, right now today, you're making a body for your next birth. It's like it's being built and customized for you to fit your desires, you see. So you're here in this situation due to your desires. Desires lead to action, activities. Activities have a reaction. This is called karma. Karma. We've all heard of karma, right? In the Bible it says, as you sow, so shall you reap. That's the law of karma. As you're reaping, you must have sown. It works both ways. See? So, what you're receiving, you uh, have already given yourself. If you're receiving very good things, then you must have done some pious activities. If things are really good for you. If things go bad, what's the first thing we look for when things go bad? somebody to blame it on it usually ends up you know like uh, President Eisenhower had this sign on his desk that's become a, a, a catchphrase the buck stops here so God should have a sign on his desk the buck really stops here we end up uh, ultimately we'll blame him why would God do this you know there's a tsunami what kind of God would let this happen you see something bad happens to you and immediately you think, well, of course it's not my fault. I'm really good. I'm a nice guy. Of course I did this and that. But we're not thought, 
you know, I, I have a way of rationalizing and covering over uh, the nasty things that I might do, the things that I might uh, think I, I did, nobody caught me and I got away with. But the account uh, accrues. So there's karma. Karma is the reaction for your actions. Now there is V-karma. See, I'm going to teach you some things that uh, you've probably heard little bits and pieces of. But this science, the Western, uh, the Western understanding of Eastern philosophy, is just skimming the surface. We've all heard of karma. Have you heard of V-karma? Because that's part of the game, too. You can't have karma without V-karma. And then there's A-karma. V-karma is the results of sinful activities. Karma is the results of good activities. So people say, well, I'm having some bad karma. No, you're having results from V-karma. V-karma. I did bad, I get bad. Karma, I did good, I get good. You see? So at the time that you check out of this body, there's an account, an account balance. You know, like your bank statement at the end of the month, it's got a plus figure or a minus figure. Hope it's hope so it's it's plus. You see? So at the time you check out of this body, there's an account balance. If it's bad, then your next birth, you're gonna you're gonna have to pay the bad. You're gonna receive bad things. That's why things happen to us. And it seems like I've been a good guy all my life. Gee whiz, I've never done any, done the things that are being done to me. Well, but you know, they're previous lives. See. And then you see people that are born, and it seems like, God, everything just happens. You know, they have attractive bodies, they might become famous, wealthy, people adore them, you know, and you think, well, they're not that nice. You know, I went to school with Bill Gates. He was never a nice guy or even very smart. Yeah, but he had a lot of karma. You know, he had the karma to go where he is. He earned it. He paid for it. So therefore, when we're having bad things befall us, we earned it. We paid for it. So we can mature, we can mature spiritually by realizing whatever I have, I earned it. I paid for it. You see, by my activities. Except when the Supreme Lord intervenes. Maybe you do something that just pleases Him. Like when we were just chanting this Hare Krishna, Maha Mantra, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, <coughs> Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. But then He says, Who? Who is saying that? This is very rare. That's a, it's called the Maha Mantra. Maha means great. Mantra. Man means mind. Tra means to free. So a mantra is something that's meant to free the mind. So this is the great maha mantra, maha mantra, the great mantra. It frees your mind. Frees your mind of what? Material contamination. Up until 500 years ago, it was very, very, very secret totally secret. There were only a few people who knew that mantra. You had to work your way life after life, birth after birth, to get into a position to where you could experience and be able to vibrate that sound vibration. Because when you vibrate that, that vibration of Hare Krishna, Krishna says, oh, who is saying that? This has got to be somebody very special. 
if you have this. So 500 years ago, Lord Krishna appeared as Lord Chaitanya in West Bengal, in the Nadia district. Uh, and he distributed this holy name, this Maha Mantra, freely to everybody. And his plan is, as we go into the darker ages of this planet, as these ages are called yugas, and we're in the fourth yuga, which is the bad yuga. You know, there's going to be shortages, whether we already have shortages of resources. Water, water's becoming polluted. The air is becoming polluted, you see. The weather is changing, climate is changing. There will be a shortage of food, not tomorrow. But as time goes on, life will get tougher. It will be very, very difficult for the living entity to pursue spiritual life. So Krishna said, because he has a, a love for you, I am going to open up this secretive mantra and distribute it to everybody. So if you chant this mantra, you will make spiritual advancement. Now, translating this Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare, into English, you are saying, oh my dear Lord Krishna, my, I'm praying to you, I'm praying to your energy. Please engage me in your loving devotional service. That's the ultimate prayer. Now some people want to know, uh, what is this energy of God that we're praying to? So and in, uh, another question that I get as I travel around is, uh, oftentimes it's from ladies, well, how do you know God's not a woman? How do we know God's not a woman? What are your opinions? Is God a woman? Yeah. Wait a minute. How can he not be? But how can he not be a he as well? His energy is feminine. His energy is Radha, Radha Rani, sometimes known as Radhika. We have Radha and Krishna with us. <laughs> Radha and Krishna have come to see us. So you have this masculine form, the absolute controller, Krishna, the strong, beautiful, masculine form and the beautiful, attractive Radha. Same soul, two different bodies. You see, God is unlimited. There are no limits to the Supreme. Now, and something else that I should touch on, because some of you are new here, uh, there are many concepts of God. One of the most common concepts in the world is that God is the supreme universal energy. Right? Have you ever heard that philosophy? God is impersonal. He's energy. He's light. You see? You ever heard that? Just really energy. The supreme energy from which everything comes. And then there are the personalists. The personalists believe that God is a person and he has a personality. So on one hand, people are saying, well, no, he has no, he doesn't have, he's not limited to a form. He's unlimited energy. And the others say, well, he has a form. You see. Now, which one is right? Which could be right? Anybody want to take a guess? Huh? Both of them. Because he's unlimited. He is all of this. 
You could just say, he is. He is unlimited. He, she is unlimited. We cannot place any limits on the Supreme. So the, that unmanifest form is there. And also the manifest form is there in unlimited forms. Krishna has unlimited names. Govinda. Narayana. That's a joke that I have in my head. In India you meet many characters. You know, many characters. And some people are wandering around. You've seen them. You've seen, you know, the Babaji's, they look like they're like they just came out of a cave. You know, they look like they've, you know. So some of these guys are the real deal. Some of them are just pretending so that they can beg some money. And typically, if they're asking for money, they're not so up and up because if they really, if they're the real deal, they simply trust in Krishna. Krishna gives everything. Krishna, God, is the source of everything. So if I want something, why don't I go to him? Why should I go to you? You know, if I need money and I go to you, you say, well, God, I'd love to help you, but man, you know, the rent's due, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to get paid, or I just got laid off, you know. So I'm, why should I bother you? If I go to Krishna, he's got everything. His pockets are real deep, you see. He owns everything. He's the source of wealth. So how do we tell the real deal? He's not asking for money. See, the saintly persons give money to the sages who aren't asking. The only way you can tell. If they come up with their hand out, you think, you know, if you're so potent, if your meditation has been so complete, sitting up there in the mountains, in that cave, why are you sitting here asking me for money? You know, so. But any, anyway, in India, you see many of these characters. And uh, when Aaron and I would see one of these guys, he would say, no, Narayan, no. Because, you know, he could be. <laughs> you know, Narayan has appeared, and he's walking amongst us. Could be. Well, I mean, if you're like in or something, yeah. Yeah. We saw a few of them in Mayapur. Some in Puri. You see them here and there. So, uh -huh. and, I, and I say this because there are many, many pretenders. Just because somebody comes from India doesn't mean they're going to give you the absolute truth. You see, It doesn't mean that they have the absolute truth. How do you get the absolute truth? You've got to get close to the source. You've got to get close to the supreme absolute truth. How do you get close to God? You have to love Him. Can yes. you talk a little bit about like the yoga ladder? Like what is it in general? I can't remember all the terms right now. But well, I mean, but like, compare bhakti to... Like, well, yeah. Know. Yeah, I mean, there are there's so many different. Ashtanga yoga, you know, Ashtanga yoga. Uh, in previous ages, there was the, the most common yoga was Ashtanga yoga. Uh, in America, they call it Ashtanga, but the true pronunciation is Ashtanga, Ashtanga yoga. See. And that's sitting in a, in a posture. And, you know, like I say, the folks who delivered it to America, they, they kind of watered it down, okay? Because Ashtanga yoga requires you to sit in a perfect lotus position. <laughs> the perfect yoga position, 
with the spine perfectly straight and with a 90, on a 90 degree axis with the center of the earth. You have to be in a remote area so you will not be disturbed and you cover the ground with coos grass. Coos grass is very, very fragrant. It smells very wonderful. You see, in India they have this coos oil. And uh, if you cover the ground with coos grass, which gives you a, a very uh, uh, spiritual aroma to help your meditation, it also, it also keeps away snakes. Snakes don't like the smell of coos grass. It smells too good for them, I guess. Then you put a deer skin on top of that, and you sit perfectly, <coughs> and you bring the life airs up to a point of what we sometimes in the West call the third eye. You have to bring your life air up and you have to meditate on Krishna within. And this takes many, many years. To do this properly, you have to give up all sense gratification, all desire to satisfy the senses. I mean, it gets pretty specific too, though. Oh, it's very like specific. Meat eating, you have to be celibate. Oh, yeah. You have to live in a secluded place. You have to live in a secluded place. It has to be a holy place. It has to be a holy place. And it's a holy place because there's a holy river there. Yeah. And uh, no contact, no sexual contact, no sexual thoughts. You see? No desire to satisfy any of the senses. The tongue, the belly, the genitals, you know, the smell, the eyes. And you withdraw and you're looking for the Paramatma. Huh? You are the Jivatma. That's you, the soul. And you occupy the body in a region of the heart. And right next to you is Paramatma, Krishna. He is there with you. So you're trying to see, you're trying to find him. Now this sounds very wonderful, except in the previous yugas you lived for many thousands of years. And you would be born into a family and from birth, your father would teach you Ashtanga Yoga. So when you were two years old, you had the perfect posture and the meditation was perfect. Uh, you lived in a holy place. You lived in the Himalayas. In America, they call them the Himalayas, but it's really pronounced Himalaya. Uh, Alya is, means a place. Him means ice and snow. Himalaya means the place of ice and snow. And you'd be up, you know, located out like that. There's no jets flying overhead. There's no microwaves bouncing off the inside of your brain. <coughs> you see. And you live a very, very long life, many thousands of years. And you practice this Ashtanga Yoga. And I don't mean to offend people when I say this, but to try to practice Ashtanga Yoga in this age is quite foolish. You're not going to live long enough. You've got a late start. And you're not going to be able to clear your mind of all the things. You know, you may start your meditation and then remember, oh, I forgot to call so-and-so. Oh, doggone, the rinse do. Man, am I hungry. You know, I think I'll call my girlfriend. I'd like to see her tonight. You know. What if my boyfriend's going to call? You know, you see, there's so many things in our lives. Ashtanga yoga doesn't fit in this age. You'd be lucky to live 100 years in this age. In the last part of that hundred years, your mind is going to be twisted and not very usable because uh, all the things that are going into the mind, you see. In previous ages, there was no uh, contamination for the mind, you see. Uh, for instance, there were no movies, there was no pornography. 
There was no television. There was no internet. There was no yah, blah, blah, yah, 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 people talking about nonsense. Huh? This is called uh, Sanskrit. Uh, in Sanskrit, that's called gramya kata. Kata means discussion. Gramya means village. Gramya kata is village gossip. Oh, did you see what she was wearing? It looked all just terrible. You know, I hear she's, I hear she's dating on him. She's, you know, they're doing this or that. Yeah, 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 yeah. You see, what we want is Krishna kata. Yes. Oh, the deer skin is to cover the kus grass, and there's another reason for it that I don't remember right now. I learned it, you know, 40 years ago, but it doesn't apply to me and Vaishnav. Doesn't, you know, so it's just something that I learned that I didn't need, so I haven't really... And how about, um, what role does a true apology and forgiveness play in karma? Oh, that's... Excellent question. What role does a true apology and forgiveness? Uh, true apology and forgiveness has to be from the heart. Now, to have a true apology, there has to be some emotion behind that. See, you have to have some feeling of love. There has to be some love within you. Some sort of a purified form of love. I'm not talking about lust. Not talking about. I, I, I love you because you're beautiful. I love you because when we go out and I have you on my arm, all the guys look at me and they think, "Wow, what a lucky guy!" You see. I love you because you give me so much physical enjoyment. Because I see you, I get to touch you. That's lust. That's not love. Unfortunately, in our age, that's being sold as love. But it's, that's why there's so many broken hearts. There's a broken heart. Wherever there's a heart beating, I'll show you a broken heart. That may not be broken right now, but it's been broken and it will be broken again because it's based on these physical things. So, uh, forgive, forgiveness. Uh, forgive and forget. Forgiveness means that I forgive you for what you've done to me and I'm forgetting it. Not that I'm... I forgive you, but I've got it filed away, and if you ever do something again, I'm going to say, well, now you're doing this, and remember you did that. Well, I thought you forgave me for that. Well, I didn't think you were going to be like this, though. So it was still in the archives, you see, still on the hard drive. Forgive it and forget it, you see. Now, how can we do that? That's a tall order, isn't it? I need to forgive. I mean, I really forgive. First of all, let's take it a step before that. Let's not take the offense to begin with. I refuse to accept an offense. Yeah, well, I think you're just a fat old man. Yeah, well, I think you're right. We have to give up false ego. What's false ego? Aham. Aham is a Sanskrit word that means, do you know what that means? Aham. I am. <clears throat> I am is a statement. If it ends in any way other than a servant of Krishna, then it's wrong and it's false ego. 
I am a PhD in psychology. Wrong! You've trained your body to be a PhD, but you are a living entity, an eternal living entity, and you were somewhere else before you had this body and took it to school and got your diploma. You are an eternal servant of the Supreme Lord. That's what we are. Eternal. We always have been. We always will be, except we're on vacation right now because we've decided to come to the material world and try to be human beings. And so many people tell me, well, I'm just a human being searching for a spiritual experience. It sounds romantic, doesn't it? Totally wrong. You are a spiritual entity searching for a human experience. You were spiritual entity long before you became human being. You see. You're an eternal living entity trying to experience what it would be like to be a human being. And for most people it's not working that well. Because you're all young so you don't have this realization as strong as an older person does. The thing that breaks this whole concept of I'm a human being, the thing that demolishes it, is a thing called death. Hare Krishna, how are you? Good to see you. What a treat. Adan, Hare Krishna. Good to see you. More and more friends come. So, Death. Death is coming. That's not a sad thing. It's a normal thing. Have you ever known anything that didn't die? The death rate of the planet is how much? 100%. Always has been, always will be. So my human experience, regardless of how well I might be apparently doing, I could be Bill Gates or even richer, it's limited. It's going to come to an end. In this material world, there is birth, disease. Everybody gets a little sick once in a while, some more than others. Old age. Old age is not fun. And ultimately, death. Followed by another birth. More disease. Once again, old age. And again, death. Followed by another birth. And you you can perpetuate it like that. Why? Because my material desires are not being satisfied. I keep wanting more. I have desires. I want more and more. You see, the human body is a rotten uh, place to have material desires. It completely stinks. Because there's so many things you can't do like other entities can. So, what is it for? You have this wonderful brain. And with this brain, you can ask qualified people, or you, you can ask unqualified people, it's your choice, but you can search out, what is the meaning of life? Why am I here? What's going on to me? What is this place I'm in? And what is my relationship to it? What the heck is going on? The dog never thinks like that. He's thinking, you know, something to eat, something to have some sex life with. 
The activities in the material world are the same for all living entities. Eating, you need something to eat, you need fuel. Every living entity is looking for something to eat. Sleeping, every living entity is looking for a place to sleep, even if it's just a temporary hole that you might crawl in for the night. Eating and sleeping. And then every living entity has this overwhelming desire to mate. I need to mate. Eating, sleeping, mating. Now that I have this, now I have something to eat. Now I have a place to sleep. And now I have my mate. Now I have to defend it. Because he wants to take it away. <coughs> or he, he, might, he might get it. I need to keep my eye on you. you know? I saw the way you were looking at my girl. I know you think my girl's pretty. If you're an animal and you hide something, you know, like you're a squirrel and you bury nuts, you got to hide them really well because some other critter may try to find them. You know? So eating, sleeping, mating, defending. We get caught up in these activities. And we think that because we're human beings, we have these magnificent brains, we think that we're enjoying on a higher level than the animals. Because we're smart. We're smarter than they are. But we enjoy through the senses, right? The five senses. Seeing something beautiful, smelling something very nice, tasting something, touching something that's very nice to touch, hearing something that's very nice to hear, you see? That's how we experience enjoyment, isn't it? So do the animals. What do the animals have that we don't have? Better senses. An eagle can read the headline of a newspaper a mile away. A bloodhound can smell, I think it's 190 times better than you can. Taste. A snake can stick out his tongue and taste the air and know how close you are. The snake can also see different light rays that you can't see. He can tell, even if you're hiding behind something, if he can get some of the warmth of your body coming through it, he can see that you're there. He can measure with his eyes the heat coming off your body. Some animals can see different light rays. Dogs can hear a dog whistle. We can't hear it. Our senses are imperfect. They're not perfect. Some people say, oh, my senses are really good. Well, what if I turn off the lights? Then you're blind. You can't see. If it's dark, you can't see. So, here we are in these material bodies, these human bodies, and we're trying to enjoy, like the animals. We're trying to eat, sleep, mate, and defend, just like the animals. And we get frustrated because we just never totally, for any very long time, get totally satisfied. Huh? If someone really, really likes to eat, and eat, and eat, and eat, the human body is not very good because the human body will crash. Eat too much sugar, you're in trouble. Eat too much salt, you're in trouble. Eat too much meat, you're in trouble. You eat too much this, you're in trouble. If you drink too much water, you'll die. I think it's 3.8 gallons. If you drink 3.8 gallons within two hours, you'll die of water. Water's not poisonous. I'm talking distilled pure water. You drink it, it'll kill you. If you drink enough of it, you see. But yet there are bodies that can eat constantly, like hogs. They eat all the time. They 
constantly eat. Birds have to eat three and a half times their, their body weight per day because they need it for flying and so much. See. So for eating, this human body is not. But at the time of death, if that's one of your chief desires, you'll get a body to where you can have that desire. And it won't hurt you. You can be a pig. It's okay. It's no sin. It's not like it's not like God is punishing you. He's giving you what you want. Suppose I want unlimited sex life. Well, the body of a human being is not the best body for that. There are many, but let's just take a pigeon. A pigeon can have sex every 10 minutes. All day. Every day. Pigeon doesn't have to take her to dinner and a movie. Doesn't have to buy her a ring. They don't have to get a room. You know, they just do it. And the male doesn't have to, you know, there's no alimony or, you know, what is it, the child support. He goes on to the next one. And if she's impregnated, she has eggs and, you see, it's a life of free sex and eating. So that's why pigeons always look like they're having a pretty good time. You ever see a sad pigeon? That's a joke. It's not a very good joke. You see what I mean? So we're trying to use these wonderful human machines to do animalistic things. And if we start to use our brains to figure out, why am I here? What's going on? What's the story? And once we learn the story, we think, you know, I don't think I like this. I think I want something better. I want full-time enjoyment. Because the nature of you, the living entity, is sat chit ananda. The Sanskrit word sat means eternal. Your nature is to be eternal. Never have a beginning, never have an end. Chit, full of knowledge. <coughs> to know everything. To know all that God knows. That's a lot. See. And Ananda, eternally blissful. That means no, no bad days, no rainy days, no sad times. Eternally blissful. Ananda. Satchit Ananda. We are eternally blissful and full of knowledge. That's our true nature. So the thing that will give us this true ananda, this true bliss, is spiritual knowledge and a spiritual body, which you already have, but it's covered over by your consciousness. Your consciousness, because of your desires, has led you to this human body on this planet Earth at this particular time, which is actually very fortunate at this particular time and place. And under these circumstances, you're all very fortunate. All of us are. Because now, uh, since Krishna has distributed this Maha Mantra, now you can pray to him, please, my Lord, engage me as your eternal loving servant. In other words, restore me to my original position. You're an heir to the throne of God. You've always associated with him. In a loving servitude, when, people, when you love somebody, you want to do something for them. Isn't it like that? When you feel love for somebody, you think, oh, what can I do? Can I buy them a gift or cook them something nice? 
I've got to express my love somehow. Just saying, I love you, doesn't really do it. That's just like part of it. But I want to do something for you. You see? And I want to do something for you that you want. I don't, it's not that I want to do something for you that I want. I want to do something for you that will make you happy because I love you. That is bhakti yoga. We were talking about the yoga ladder. All the yoga, ashtanga yoga is supposed to break, let, go to another level and then another level, another level. These are stepping stones, like climbing a ladder. The topmost position of uh, the yoga ladder is bhakti yoga. Bhakti yoga means the, the yoga of love. Love of the Supreme. It culminates in love. If yoga is not taking you to love, it may make you feel good. And that's very good. It'll make you fit. It can help the f blood flow so your brain gets more oxygen. You think better. All of these things are there for what? So when you get a healthier body and now you have more blood flow, you can think better, you feel good, what does that mean? Now I can have more sex? And crash, burn, misusing the human body again. No. Now that I have a healthier body, now I have fewer things that are pulling at my attention. I feel better. You see, I'm thinking better. I'm thinking more clearly. Now I can pursue spiritual life. What is the pursuit of spiritual life? Finding my identity. My true spiritual identity, which you have. It's been kind of covered over. Your consciousness is covered over like the dust on a mirror. You can't really see. So we want to give you true consciousness through this bhakti yoga. Learning how to love. Love who? The Supreme. Love Him how? By serving Him. By doing sweet things to please Him. And as you do that, you realize, at some point, you realize, my dear Lord, you've always been here, haven't you? Because then you become conscious of Krishna. That's called Krishna consciousness. When you become conscious of him, then all of a sudden you think, wait a minute, that was you in the third grade that helped me that time. That was you that gave me this. Wait a minute, that's, wait, it's always been you. And your love will just explode. It'll overwhelm you. Now what happens in your life when you rediscover your dormant love for Krishna? What happens? The dam breaks. All this love in your soul just covers the whole world. Because now that I'm loving God, I can learn how to love you. And how to love you. Truly. Not out of lust. Really. For who you are. You hear people say, well, you know, he loves me for who I am. And sometimes that's kind of a loser statement because I, I know I'm really weird, you know, but uh, sometimes I've heard people who, are, who have a problem with intoxication. You know, they drink a lot and they find an, uh, an alcoholic boyfriend or an alcoholic girlfriend. Well, she loves me. She loves me for who I am. Another, she knows I'm a loser. Well, we can share lust anyway. 
In other words, uh, people often find relationships in their lives by neuroses matching up. My neuroses and your neuroses match, so this looks like it could be a good thing, right? My craziness and your craziness. In other words, if, if, you're, uh, if you're an alcoholic, you guys have to take off? Yeah. Oh. Thank you for coming. I'll be back in September. I hope to see you then. Thank you. Thank you so much. But if I'm an alcoholic and you're an alcoholic, you're not going to find fault with me being an alcoholic. So therefore, I'm starting to love you already. If I like to smoke a lot of marijuana and you like to smoke a lot of marijuana, you're not going to think of me as somebody who does illegal drugs. My neuroses matches up with yours. You see, if I like to overeat too much, then, and you know, you, you see that, how it goes. But if you can transcend that, if I love God, and I can see that you love God, but you're just covered over, you don't realize it, no matter what you do, what your bad habits are, I love you. I love you because we are all part and parcel of Krishna. Just like if you take a drop of salt water out of the ocean, it's the same chemical composition as the ocean. We are all joined together. That doesn't mean that I am God and you are God. There's this philosophy that some bogey yogis, bogus yogis, there's no such thing as a bogus yogi or bogus guru. Either you're guru or you're bogus. If you're guru, you're not bogus. But this philosophy has been spread that I am God and you are God. We're all one. When John Lennon said we're all one, he was a rotten idiot. And I've met John Lennon and I, and I, like, I liked him a lot. The Beatles were very active in Krishna consciousness many years ago. Used to come into, he and Yoko used to come into our restaurant in uh, uh, Manhattan. Used to come there a lot. And he was very nice. But he had these bogus theories that he got from someone whose name I won't mention. <clears throat> because he, he looked under, he kept looking under rocks. Sometimes when you go looking under rocks, you know what you find? Or a snake spider or snake. So John was, he was this all. I am you and you are me and we are all together. <coughs> you know. Sounds sweet. But it won't deliver you from birth and death. It won't deliver you to the spiritual world. If it was, then all the great souls that have walked this planet, that have saved all of us, would be smoking it up and Token it up and shooting it up. And, you see, this is bogus thought. We are all made of the same material. We are all part and parcel of the Supreme, but yet we have our own separate identity. And so does He. And that cannot be taken away. You can't give it up. You have it. You are you. you have a, there's a spiritual you there. Now you can be liberated into the impersonal Brahman. This liberation that some yogis talk about, about merging in with the impersonal, universal energy, that's there. It's real. And you can go there if you want to. If you can practice yoga the way it's, it's been uh, prescribed, you can achieve the impersonal Brahman realization. And at the time of death, 
you can go to the Brahma Jyoti. That's the, the name of that place that they talk about, where it's all light and energy, you see. So, and some people say, well, you know, it sounds like a really good place. It's Nirvana. Ever heard of that? Sounds good, doesn't it? Does anybody know what Nirvana means? That's a Sanskrit word. Sanskrit was the original language. The original sound vibration in, in this cosmos was Sanskrit. All languages come from Sanskrit. Do you know what that word means in Sanskrit, Nirvana? It means nothing. Away from everything. To have nothing. Void. Well, I thought it meant bliss. It means nothing. To, uh, to go to a place where there's nothing. Now, some people may say, well, that sounds pretty doggone good. You know, if I can get into a place where I can just be me, just bliss out. All right, so let's go there. In our minds, let's go there. Here we are. We're in Nirvana. We're in the impersonal Vermont. Now, I say impersonal because we, we don't have form. We're just a, spirit, a spiritual spark. I'm a spiritual spark. You're a spiritual spark. All of us are. I don't have a spiritual nor material body. So that means I don't have senses. All I know is I can sense that there's other living entities there. So here we are. We're all, we're all there. We're feeling bliss, right? So I'm feeling bliss. You're feeling bliss. All right, what do we do tomorrow? More bliss. Okay. Now what do we do 10 million years from now? Oh, yeah, yeah. More bliss. You know, how can I reach out? How can I share? How can I love? The missing element, love, which is what we're all about. Love of Krishna, love of Godhead, love of one another. If I can't see you, I just kind of know you're there. And I'm focused on, what is it? Oh, yeah, I, me, mine. I'm there only myself. See? Who's there to love? Well, there's ever. What, what do you love about everybody? What do you love about your situation? How do you feel love and love for whom? So what happens? Typically, the living entity, once he's in that Brahman realization, he comes back to the material world because he wants something higher. You know, it's not hellfire and brimstone. It's not punishment. Krishna doesn't get angry at you if you go liberated and get liberated into the impersonal Brahman and go to the Brahma Jyoti for ten gazillion years. He's not angry at you. You know why he's not angry? Because he knows who he is. He knows he's Krishna. And he knows you can't resist me. I'm way too beautiful. I'm way too sweet. And I love you. I'm the source of love. And I know you want that more than anything. So no matter where you go in this material world, you're going to end up right here. Krishna knows it. You know, when you're God, you can be cocky. I'm Krishna. You're, you're going to be here. Because you're going to want love. And after you don't find it, and you don't find it, and you don't find it for ages and ages and ages, you're going to come to the source of everything. 
the Supreme, which is the source of love. We will learn to serve him with love and devotion. It's not a one-sided relationship. It's not like, well, I'm serving him, what do I get? He's always been serving you. He has always been in love with you. An ultimate, eternal, perfect, pure, transcendental love. He's always had it for you. And you've always had it for him. It's just that for the last gazillion years, you've come to this material world trying to find that excitement or that love somewhere else. And that's okay. You know, we're not like some religions who say, Oh, you have sinned! No, you didn't. It's not, that's not considered a sin. You made a choice because you have free will. God gives you free will because He's romantic. Krishna is the ultimate romantic. So for you to love me, you got to have a choice. you got to choose me. I don't want you to say you love me because I'm the only thing you know. I've got to make you, I've got to give you the illusion that there's something beside me. Something other than me. And then if you want to, you can leave and go chase it. Now there is nothing else but me. Krishna knows that. There's no, you know, I'm the source of everything. But I don't want you to think like that. Otherwise, you're going to think, well, you know, you're the only game in town, so I guess I love you, Krishna. You see, it has to be genuine. He wants to feel and to taste genuine love. So therefore, you have to have a choice. If you don't have a choice to leave or stay, you're a prisoner. So he gives you a choice to leave or to stay, to choose him or not, knowing that ultimately you'll be back and you'll choose me. There's nothing out there but me. You see? So Krishna is like that. So the purpose of this Krishna consciousness movement is to make people more conscious of your love for Krishna, which is laying dormant right now. And his love for you, which has never been dormant, has always been supplying. He's been giving you your every need and every desire since the beginning of time. And he will continue to give you whatever you want we're just trying to help you to want the right thing. You see, we chat. Yeah, uh, I think we should say let's, let's let's stop now. Ask if there are any any questions or comments. We can take maybe one or two quick questions, and then we'll have another cure time. Any comments or questions? <coughs> Does this make any sense? Yeah. We're not hellfire and brimstone. If you have any questions, you can contact me. Krishna Das knows how to get in touch with me, and so does uh, Aaron. And Rob knows how to get in touch with me. If you have questions, you can find me on Facebook. Um, Jivananda, just type in Jivananda Das. You'll find me on there. So you can, however you like, you can get a call. You can get my number, and you can call. So anytime you have <coughs> questions or comments. My, one, thing, huh? one thing I think of is that. Uh, Whenever we have a, a class or we're, we're, we're learning more about, about God and our true self, in the moment, it, it, can make, it makes a lot of sense, you know? And then as soon as we like go upstairs and we're back looking at the world again, you, you automatically forget that 
you know, we just learned that we were a spirit and not this body. Yeah. And all that anyone can think of is this temporary existence and temporary everything we're trying to continue. So how uh, I'm wondering uh, what you can offer everyone to try to remember how to remember, you know, because as soon as we go out there, everyone's going to forget most yeah. of the time, you know, unless you have somebody to keep on reminding you. The way we do that is we chant. This Maha Mantra is meant to do just that, and that's a good point. Uh, as soon as we walk up the steps, the material energy will start to, you know, the tongue will start saying, hey, I'm kind of hungry. The stomach is saying, hey, you didn't feed me. You know, oh, God, look at that. That looks fun. Let's go do this. Let's go do that. Uh, there's this new movie in town. There's a, a nice concert we can go to. There's all these fun things to do that are going to take my consciousness into the material realm, take me away from this moment. People come to these satsangas <coughs> and they feel good. They feel good because there's a spiritual part of them that, start, that starts to feel refreshed. But then material energy will work its negative energy on you. you see. So, if, if we could at least say this mantra at least once a day, twice a day is better. A thousand times is even better. Whatever you can do. If you chant this Maha Mantra, you'll find it will go in your head all the time. If you're chanting, you'll always hear it. And through this, you become conscious of Krishna. And Krishna is like whispering in your ear, sweet nothings, sweet things. Giving you confidence that you can't believe. You've never felt confidence like Krishna can give you when your relationship with him is working. Because Krishna says, you're my servant. You're working, you're doing your deeds for me. That means I'm behind you. And if I'm behind you, everything is behind you. If I'm working for you, nothing can stop you. We do that by becoming Krishna conscious. In other words, I'm performing my activities to please Him. I want to do what He wants done. That makes me feel really great. And because I'm doing it for Him, He's going to see that it happens. Now you do that for, you know, I've been doing it for 40 years, but that, you know, it doesn't take you that long. But after a while, you start to think, wow, I can do anything. I can accomplish anything. If I'm working for Him, doing what he wants done. When he wants it done, it's going to happen. If I'm trying to do just what I want, if it, I'm out, out for I, me, and mine, then good luck. I have to commit or compete with all the other people that are out for I, me, and mine. But I'm not competing when I'm do, trying to do what he wants done. There is no competition. The world opens up and you can accomplish just about anything. I could tell you some stories, but we don't have time for that. But things that happen in your life that make you realize, oh yes, you're here. You're here. I know you're here. You can see him in everything that happens. He becomes visible, not with your eyes, but with a different eye. You can see him in everything that happens, everything that goes on. And you start to understand everybody and all happenings and you feel so rightly situated that this confidence will grow and you have to battle being becoming uh, unhumble. 
You have to remain humble, even though you've got the Supreme Lord behind you and His force and His energy. You still have to remain humble. How do we do that? Because we have to realize it's Him that's doing it and not me. He is the doer, not me. So chant this Hare Krishna Maha Mantra. You know, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. You know, if you just want to say it once a day, or more, or more. I'll warn you, it's addictive though. So, thank you very much. Let's have some kirtan.